Welcome to another episode of Exploring the Seasons of Life, a podcast for women with a big heart on a spiritual journey who are ready to lead healthier and happier lives and improve their emotional well-being. I'm Cindy McMillan. In this season of the podcast, I'm inviting you to lean into well-being. Well-being takes into account the entire person, body, mind, and spirit. It's feeling good and functioning well. It's experiencing positive emotions such as contentment and gratitude. It's developing your potential, having a sense of purpose, and experiencing close relationships. Self-love, well-being, and mindset are at the heart of our conversations because once you change the inside, the outside will begin to change as well. In this episode, we are chatting about death, and my guest is Jill McLennan. Jill is a certified death doula, which is a non-medical person trained to care for someone holistically at the end of life. She offers support, preparation, and soul-level healing to her clients and their families in person and virtually through her work as a death doula and end-of-life coach. In addition to being a death doula, Jill is a trauma-sensitive yoga instructor And she also uses Reiki and shamanic healing techniques to help her clients heal their fears around death and dying, as well as work with their grief. Welcome to the show, Jill. I'm so excited you're here, and I've really been looking forward to this conversation. Thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to it as well since we connected and I got to learn a little bit about you and your podcast. I've been looking forward to this conversation. I think it's a really important topic that we're going to be covering today, and I do want to start off with my favorite question, and that is, what does exploring the seasons of life mean to you personally or in your business? I I actually really love that question um, because, you know, as somebody that is in a female body, to me, the seasons of life really, I think, connected to my personal life as well as my business, you know, like I think back to when I was younger, and, you know, I first started discovering what it meant to be a woman in our society today. Um, And then going through a career that was very masculine dominated, I came from food service, Um, I came from a kitchen, I was always very proud of the fact that anything that the men could say or do to me, I could give it back even more. Um, And I found that that very masculine dominant energy was starting to really almost in a way like destroy me inside. Um, And so I had to really, when I turned 40, I started really exploring what would bring a balance to my life of more feminine energy. And that's when I started really thinking about leaving food service and where did I want to go? And so those seasons of life really were very tied with my career change as well. This understanding of that I needed to have that balance of the masculine and the feminine inside, especially as I was, you know, aging into now going into the next phase of potentially you know, I could start menopause at any time. I started having my period when I was very young, which doctors, of course, are now like, you're 44. It could start at any point, which is a whole new phase, a whole new season of life for me as I'm 
really embracing more and more this new career path. So I found that they were very closely tied together, that the seasons that I was going through personally also really were reflected in my professional life, my career and my business as I've been moving into it. So when you left the food service, and I, and when I was doing your introduction, I talked about you were doing shamanic healing techniques with your clients. Is that when you started working as a shaman? Yeah, so I am not fully out of my food service career. I'm still doing that part-time. And um, after I became a death doula, I had already had um, Reiki in my toolbox. I've had, you know, I got my my first yoga training as well as Reiki 1 and 2 when I was about 21. So going on 20 something years, but then I really felt like I was missing something in my own healing journey as well as I wanted to have more tools to work with my clients when we're at this really vulnerable state in life, whether it's the person that's dying or whether it's their family members, I wanted to be able to help them more on a level that was a little bit deeper. And so that's actually when I did my shamanic training. Um, So I had more tools to work with my clients, but also the training itself was so healing for me. It gave me a safe container to really process some things that I'd been holding on to for a very long time and that were coming out of me in ways that were damaging to me and the people around me. So um, yeah, my shamanic training was something that actually came after my death doula training. And it's only been a few years now since I've had it, but um, I really found that it's helpful. Um, I will do shamanic healings with people that aren't dying. I mean, it's something I've done with friends that um, just really needed that extra level of healing. So I find that that's just a another tool to have in my toolbox just to help people along the way in their seasons of life as they're aging and going through different things. Jill, you may have already touched on some of this, but can you just talk about your journey to becoming a death doula? Yeah, I I love to talk about how I got here because I think there's a lot of people that are feeling called to become death doulas or, you know, some type of end of life worker, essentially. Um, It really started for me, honestly, I think it started for me when I was a child. I think I've always been called to do this work. Um, When I was younger, I used to go with my grandmother to a local nursing home where there, it was a a veteran's home and we would um, go in and she was Catholic. So we would take rosary beads to the people that were Catholic, but then we would like sing Christmas carols or, you know, whatever else. And I remember even when I was in high school, my grandmother telling me that I used to like amaze all the nurses and everybody because I would always go into the rooms of people that were like really not doing well. They were dying. They maybe weren't speaking. And I would go up to their beds and I would like hold their hand and I would talk to them when like all the other kids were scared. And I remember my grandma telling me that and thinking, oh, well, that was that was nice, I guess. Like, hopefully I made people feel better when they were dying. And then when my grandmother was dying, I took care of her at the end of her life. Um, My husband and I lived with her 
We moved in with her when she had just turned 90. Uh, She found out she had cancer right after we moved in, like literally, I think three weeks after we moved in, uh, we took her to the doctor for a lump that she found and um, turns out that it was cancer. So the last four years of her life, I went through all of the treatments with her and, you know, just really watching her essentially go down this path towards the end of her life. When she actually got, what I would say, in the active phase of dying, um, I had a six-month-old baby. My husband and I owned a bakery, so I was like, you know, just working and taking care of the baby and taking care of grandma. And the hospital sent her home um, from, like, she had gotten an infection. And they said, you know, we're going to send her home on hospice. Like, there's really nothing else we can do. And who takes care of her? And I said, oh, well, that's me. I've been taking care of her for the last couple years. And they said, okay, so, you know, we're going to send her home. Hospice is going to come in a couple days and, you know, we'll start that process. So I just thought grandma was going to sleep because I don't know. That's what I thought people did as they got closer to the end of life. And I just wasn't prepared for what the reality was like for the last about month of her life because nobody talks about it. Nobody tells you what to expect. And the people that go through it, don't really tell their friends and family because people get uncomfortable talking about it. So the first night that I was home with her and she didn't know who I was, she thought I was a nurse and she kept saying to me, my granddaughter has a baby the same age as yours. Cause of course I'm like nursing a six month old in the middle of the night while I'm trying to help my grandmother get settled because she was up and she was moving around And then she didn't know who I was. And I was so confused. I really just was like, but grandma, it's me. And she was like, you're not my granddaughter. And I'm thinking, what is happening? Like, what is going on? And then, of course, as soon as hospice comes in, the next day, I'm talking to the hospice nurse. And I'm like, can you please tell me what is going on? And she was just like, oh, yeah, this is totally normal. Like, this is what happened. And thank God, because... I really was so confused and overwhelmed that just having somebody say to me, like, no, this is normal. This is what happens. This is what you can expect to happen really just helped me get through those last couple of weeks in a way that I was open and I was curious and I was able to connect with my grandmother on a different level that I was ever able to connect with her before. So by the time that she died, I felt really at peace with the whole thing. And I felt really lucky to have had that time with her. And so right after she died, I had said to my husband, I think I might want to go to school and become a hospice nurse because I didn't think there was any other option to work with people at the end of life. But again, we had a six month old, we had a bakery. He was super supportive. He said, well, whatever you want to do. But it just wasn't the right timing. You know, I had other things I needed to settle first. So we ended up moving um, closer to where my husband was working. He had to get a job because we'd had no health care, essentially, when we both owned our own business together. So we had to get a job in Philadelphia, and we ended up closing our bakery. We moved closer. We had a second child. You know, life happened. Again, seasons of life. It was just not the season for me to be able to think about a career change. Um, but then in, uh, 2019, I was listening to a podcast and somebody said they were a death doula. And it really felt like as soon as I heard that term, something in my body was like, that's it. Like, that's what you need to do. And it took me a little while to like, listen to that voice and to think to myself, like I had just turned 40. I'm like, 
why are you going to think about changing careers? Like, what are you doing? Um, and I just kind of looked into it and I researched and then I started like reaching out to other death doulas that I could find online and having conversations. And so I started my training. I think it was February of 2020 when I started my death doula training. And then by March of 2020, I found myself having a lot of free time because I thought it was going to take me years. I had two kids. I was working two jobs at the time. Um, you know, life was just busy. So I thought, well, that's fine if it takes me a few years. And then next thing I knew, by July of 2020, I was done my training. I was able to get my website up. Like I had everything together. What I thought was going to take me many years ended up only taking me about six months to really get up and running. Um, and I'm really grateful that I was able to find this path that really, it's important. People need support at the end of life. People need education around the end of life. And hospice can't do it all. You know, hospice is there to really support people, but they didn't have the time to really sit with me like I could have used. Thankfully, because I was always open and curious about death and dying, once I just knew to expect the unexpected, basically, when you know some of the stranger things started happening, like my grandmother was talking to people that were not in the room with us, and she was insistent that they were standing behind me. And I was like, okay, cool, whatever you say. It didn't scare me, it didn't upset me, but I definitely was like, all right, she is in a different place than I am already. It was like part of her had already crossed over a little bit. It was really fascinating. And that's what started me down this path to really being able to help other people through these experiences so that they can just enjoy it for what it is. It's, you know, death and dying is not always going to be pretty, um, but it can really be a beautiful time to connect with your loved ones if we can get over our fears and our anxieties and open ourselves up to the possibility of what it could be like other than what we've essentially mostly grown up with, which is not talking about it, being afraid of it, sheltering our you know children and our loved ones from the reality of it. It really doesn't have to be that way. Thank you for um, telling us your story, and, and I love I love to hear how people, you know, become interested in becoming a an, an end of life doula. And ever since I've had the podcast, it's been really really important to me to have you know end of life doulas on the podcast to really help spread that message that it's not taboo to talk about death. Mm-hmm. I I held. A death cafe. Are you familiar with those? Yes, I love death cafes. They're I always meet really cool people whenever I attend them or hold them myself. Yeah, I mean I had I had it for almost a year and then I just, you know, between the podcast and work, I just I had to let something go, and that was the one thing that I that I stopped doing. Even though you're absolutely right, I met some really cool people at the death cafes that were just open and curious to learning and talking about death and normalizing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's you know that's so much of it is that we don't normalize it in our country, and the reality is, if you're living, you're going to die. 
I mean, that there's no way of escaping that. Um, but that doesn't mean that we have to suffer at the end of life. Yes, I mean, most of us will probably die from a disease that might give us some pain. But the mental part of it, you know, the fears and the anxieties, we don't have to die that way. If we could work with the fear and the anxiety that we have now. And a lot of times we've all had experiences where loved ones have died that we held on to grief and shame and anger and all these like emotions around that experience because we're not able to process it. So that then when we're faced with death again, all of that starts coming up. And so not only are we dealing with the situation of the person that's dying, then all of the past stuff is also coming to the surface. So it's just, it can be so much for people. Um, and that's why I'm so passionate now about having people, you know, I realized some, somebody one time when I was talking to them, they said, you sound like you're a life coach, but for the end of life. And that's when I was like, Oh, I guess in some ways I am an end of life coach because it's important for us to do this work now before we're faced with our own death or with somebody that we love. And not only will it help us navigate the end of life, if we can work with some of our um, old grief and our shame and our fears and all of that stuff, it'll really help you to live a better life now. Because one of the things is if you read about like the regrets of the dying, you know, there's a couple different people that have written books about it. You know, there's lots of information out there about the things that people say when they're on their deathbed, what they regret. And so often it was, you know, their fears that were holding them back from living the life that they wanted to live. And if we can really work with a lot of that stuff and live life on our own terms we can really be on our deathbeds and not looking back with regrets about what we did or did not do because we just didn't live our own life. And I think that's, you know, a great gift that we could give to ourselves. I just, I just love that message, Jill, about living our lives now on our own terms. And so you've, you've kind of delved into this a little bit, but as a end of life doula, and even as someone who took care of, of a, your grandmother at the end of her life, what is it that you wish everybody really understood about death and dying and bereavement? I mean, in the long run, I think the biggest thing is that we need to understand that all of us are going to have a different experience. You know, no matter how much we can educate ourselves around death, dying and bereavement, we're all going to have our own individual experiences. It doesn't mean that any of it is right or wrong. It just means that really we need to honor ourselves and what we need. So often, especially women, we are taught to care for everybody around us before ourselves. And so we find, you know, as death rulers or anybody works with people at the end of life, oftentimes the caregivers are some female that's in the family 
and they're taking care of their person. They're also trying to take care of their spouses and their children and everybody that wants to come visit. And like, they're not taking care of themselves. They're not listening to themselves and what they need. And so I think it's so important for people to realize that as they're navigating, you know, the somebody that is ill and somebody that is dying, and then even afterwards, as you're navigating your grief, is that you need to listen to your own body, you need to listen to your heart, you need to listen to what you need and really honor that. Because nobody's going to have the same experience as you and you can't care for everybody around you and shove all your stuff down because it's going to come up eventually. Um, And that's really where death doulas, you know, especially um, not all death doulas work with grief, but there are death doulas that do where like we can support people. I like to say, you know, I support you before, during and after because it's not just when the person's dying. I help support my families after somebody has died because there's still a lot of things to process and to navigate and to work through. And that's when the support tends to go away. All of the friends and the family just kind of do the like, well, it's been a month. Aren't you over that yet? Like, no, mm-hmm. it doesn't work like that. Um, and so it's really important for all your listeners to remember that everybody's going to have their own experience, but it's important to listen to your body and what you need and take care of yourself. Don't get so lost in caring for everybody else that you just put your own needs off to the side. On the podcast, I do talk about self-care a lot. And I and I think you just really touched on that in such a beautiful way of not putting your own needs off as you're caring for, for anyone else. Is there anything else you'd like to add about self-care for doulas? Yeah. I mean, self-care to me is still something that I struggle with a little bit. It's still something that I'm trying to make sure that I put some importance on my own self-care because again, like, you know, the way that society has essentially taught me is that my worth is based off of how much I'm getting done. And oftentimes how much I'm getting done is not part of taking care of myself. So I'm trying to work on this as well. And it's really important that part of my work becomes my own self care, because I need to make sure that that has as much importance as all the other parts of my business. And everybody does self care a little different. I think oftentimes, you know, it'll be like the, well, you know, take your bath and like, you know, make sure you have time for, you know, getting your nails done or whatever, like the kind of, I want to say like more girly stuff is, well, that's not self-care for everybody. For me, self-care is making sure that I take time to get outside and get my hands dirty. Like I like to work in my garden and really have the time to just like tune out all the noise, all the social media and all the, you know, things that are requiring my attention and to just really get outside. Um, Prayer or meditation is super important, I think, for everybody, but especially for those of us that are caring for others to just quiet our minds, to tune into what we are saying to ourselves. 
Um, you know, oftentimes we've got those voices in our heads and like, yes, I've been meditating for many years and people will sometimes say to me, oh, well, I can't quiet my mind. I'm like, neither can I, but that's why it's a practice. That's why you sit and you practice it. Cause some days I'll sit and that mind chatter and all the negative things that I'm saying to myself, I can like look at it and take a step back and be like, why are you saying things like that to yourself? You need to tune that out. Um, but so everybody has their own way of doing it. And I find that there has to really be part of your self-care has to be some way of moving your body. Now, not everybody likes to exercise necessarily in the traditional sense, um, but oftentimes we hold a lot of energy in our bodies that is not necessarily serving us well. And so whether it's going for walks, um, I like to do, it's kind of like nail a combination of like yoga, but like more free flowing again, bringing some of that feminine in. I found my yoga practice was very structured. It was very masculine in that, like you had to do the poses in this order, in this exact way. And it wasn't always serving me well. I had to learn to like, listen more to my body and kind of flow through it. So I don't even really call it yoga anymore. It's more of like a flowy movement kind of thing. Um, but people, you know, if they like to dance, if they like to exercise, you know, swimming, go to the gym, whatever it is, but something that moves your body and helps to move that energy out is all really an important part of self-care eating well. You know, I'm somebody that when I get stressed, my appetite tends to like almost go away if I'm stressed and overwhelmed, which then adds more to my stress and my overwhelm. So I have to make sure that I'm nourishing my body by eating well, drinking enough water, um, you know, all the things that we tend to push off to the side because we're so busy doing all the other stuff for everybody else. But especially if you're working with people at the end of life, you need to make sure that your mind and your body are well taken care of because um, sometimes you'll see it where a caregiver will end up basically sick and in the hospital right along with the person that they're caring for because they burn themselves out. And it's important to make sure that you're taking care of yourself. And also I find at the end of life, even for me, there's things that get triggered old wounding. So like I have young children, I definitely worry about what will happen to my children if anything happens to me, or I worry about something happening to my children. So sometimes if I'm with people, if there's younger kids involved, it like triggers a little something inside of me that I need to then work through and process because it is a sensitive time in people's lives. And so we need to make sure as caregivers that we're honoring any emotions or feelings that come up for us. So sometimes journaling is a great way to like get those thoughts out, you know, like I don't need that anxiety. I don't need that stuff running through my brain. So sometimes I like to just journal and just like get it out of me onto the paper and I don't look at it again. It's not like I'm like journaling to be like, this is what I did today. Like you do when you're a kid, it's more just like, this is what I'm feeling and it needs to go somewhere. So it's going out on the paper. You know, I appreciate everything that you just went through. And now I'm not 
caring for somebody at the end of their life, but I was going to give an example of something that happened yesterday. Mm-hmm. I talk about self-care on this podcast all the time, and I was doing a lot of different things. I was um, editing a podcast. I was getting ready to put a podcast out. I was I was prepping and getting ready for our conversation today. I was doing all these different things and thinking about shopping for the holidays. And, and my partner said to me, where are you? Where are you? And I was, I kind of like shook my head. I'm like, what do you mean? He says, you're not here. You're not being present. And it was just such a beautiful reminder that my mind was going in a million different directions and I needed to bring myself back home. And I just went out for a walk and just, you know, breathe the fresh air and just kind of took some deep breaths and just kind of like brought myself back so I could be then with my partner and be present to him and not be somewhere else. Yeah. And it it's, it's so important that we have those reminders in life to be present because that is something that I did learn through my death doula training and also through like my meditation practice. And I am actually um, a Buddhist. I did take my vows um, this year to like be like officially like, nope, this is what I'm doing. This is the path I'm heading down. Um, But I've learned through my... I don't know, my practices of like really thinking about the fact that I am going to die one day, what is important to me? And so often in the past, because I was so, my worth was so tied to what I was accomplishing, what I was getting done, I would almost in a way, like ignore my family, ignore my children, ignore my husband, because I was like, well, no, I have to answer these emails. And I have to write this podcast or podcast, I have to write this, like, you know, post for social media, and I have to do this, and I have to do that. And now I'm so much more present with my family. Because oftentimes, I have that little reminder in my head of one day, you're going to be dying is that email going to be important or is listening to your daughter tell you about this book that she just read something that you're Mm -hmm. going to want to hear. And the more that I can remind myself of that, of that, like there's really nothing that's more important than that time that we spend with the people that we love. And part of that is being fully present. And it's amazing how often I'm still not fully present, but I mean, if I was to talk about four years ago, you know, five years ago, like I was not present at all. And it's really that that's the stuff that you're going to want to think about when you're dying. You're not going to care about those emails. You're not going to care about all the little things that seem so important right now that are so like just pulling for our attention constantly. What you're going to care about is that time that you spend with your partner or the time that you spend with your children or, you know, just being able to be present while you're on that walk, looking around and noticing the leaves and the way that the sun shines through them, where so often I was just lost in my thoughts. And some of that was unprocessed trauma of like just some of the negative stuff. And that's, again, what my shamanic healing, you know, training really helped me work through. um, Because I noticed 
how often I was just stuck in the past things that hurt me. And it just was like on a loop and I couldn't break that cycle. It just would loop over and over and over again. So I was never really fully present with what was happening right now. My brain was so stuck in old pain and old trauma and just things that I was like not able to process and let go of. And now I, it sounds crazy almost to say it, but the world even looks different to me. Things almost look brighter or shinier or something like I don't even know how to explain it. But the more that I've healed and the more that I've like really come to terms with my fears around, you know, me dying, my husband dying, my children dying, um, the more that I've really almost meditated on the fact that I am going to die one day, what's important to me right this moment, because this moment is the only thing that I'm guaranteed. Um, the more that just everything around me looks and feels different. And I'm so grateful for it. I mean, it's something that I really wish I could give to everybody. And that's, you know, what I'm trying to do is really help people essentially go through that same transformation that I went through without becoming a death doula. Because I understand not everybody wants to do this for work. Nobody, you know, has to um, feel like they need to take this on as a career to have that same transformation. I mean, it is possible for us to have that kind of transformation to become fully present in the moment, really by working with our fears around death and dying. I mean, it's, it's possible. Just out of curiosity, do you have classes and or do workshops um, for people around awareness? I do. Yeah. So um, one of the things that I have is I have a Facebook group where every day I post a different question to start conversations around death and dying. Um, I have a 12 week program that I do with people. Um, I have a group program that I run every once in a while that's a little bit shorter, um, just to kind of get people having these conversations working you know, around their fears and their anxieties. And then in person, um, in New Jersey, which is where I live, I've uh, done a class with a local shaman where we actually do um, what some people call like a deathbed meditation, a death awareness meditation, um, where we essentially, I take my shamanic training of journeying, combine it with a traditional like Buddhist idea of meditating on your death. And I guide people to their death. Um, and then we do like a life review and then we're able to be reborn. And it's really a beautiful experience for people. I mean, I've had some wonderful feedback about how much it has changed people's perspective when they really go through this essentially like you're pretending that you died, but it really allows you to kind of feel some of the feelings of like, I have to let go of everything that I care about. But then you have the opportunity to come back and really appreciate everything that you care about in a totally different way. I will definitely put those in the show notes because that sounds really interesting. Thank you. Yeah, I I love this kind of work. I mean, this, this to me was something that I didn't necessarily plan on doing when I became a death doula. I thought I was just going to help people that were dying at the end of life. Um, but this is the work that I think can really transform 
people the most is if we start doing the work now at any age, at any stage of life, um, because it'll really kind of ripple out into our life and the way that we interact with other people. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And there's something I wanted to talk to you about. And there's a quote by Jack Cornfield that I actually love. And it's, the knowledge of the past stays with us. To let go is to release the images and emotions, the grudges and fears, the clinging and disappointments of the past that bind our spirit. And I wanted to talk about that in terms of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And have you witnessed that with any of your, your families or just in any of your workshops around forgiveness in a family? Yeah, that's unfortunately, we find as you know, people that work with um, anybody at the end of life, oftentimes, forgiveness is not what happens. Um, people really spiral into the anger and the shames and the regrets. Um, I have seen it tear families apart more than actually bringing people together when somebody dies. And that's why I started really, again, not all death rulers work with the family members. Um, but that's something that I'm pretty passionate about as well is like helping families kind of work together at the end of life and heal some of that because it's really, you know, even in my own family, it happened. Like, I'm sure my grandmother would be heartbroken if she knew what happened between her children and her grandchildren after she died. But that's the unfortunate reality of it is that oftentimes because we don't heal, I love Jack Cornfield and like that quote is perfect about like, we're not letting that stuff go. And so again, at the end of life, when everybody's emotional, all the stuff we've held on to just bubbles up and explodes out rather than us dealing with it in a healthy way. And I actually did lead a workshop once um, in my Facebook group on forgiveness, because I think people really misunderstand forgiveness. I think oftentimes, if you say to somebody, oh, you know, can you forgive the person that, you know, did X, Y, or Z to you? And they're like, no, of course, I can't forgive them. Like, it's this idea in a lot of people's minds that it means that you're saying to them that what they did was okay. And that's not what real forgiveness is. Right. And it's really important that we understand that forgiving other people takes our power back. And that was something that I had to go through forgiving somebody that really hurt me when I was 21. And I just was able to really heal it and forgive and let it go about two years ago. And I can think of all the times when, yes, they hurt me in that one moment, you know, when I was 21, but for 20 plus years, they still had power over me because I couldn't forgive them. And I'm still, I would never say that what they did was right. I will never say that what they did is something that even if I had the opportunity to speak to them, I would not want to, but I forgave them 
in a way that I was able to see that they were just another human that was acting out their pain and their trauma. And it allowed me to heal and take my power back and not allow that situation to continue to affect the way that I was interacting with other people around me. And forgiveness is so important for us to be able to move on from a situation. But I think that misunderstanding of forgiveness, that it means that you're saying to that person that it's okay, that doesn't mean that you allow them to continue to hurt you. It doesn't mean that you even necessarily have them in your life ever again. You don't even have to tell them that you forgave them. The forgiveness is for you. It's for you to be able to take your power back and move on and leave that in the past, taking whatever lessons you needed to learn from it, but it's not going to continue to affect your life and how you move forward. But so many families, we have so much, you know, anger and resentment and just all these things that we don't work through. It's easier to shove it down and pretend that it's not there than to heal it. But at the end of life, it's going to come up whether you want it to or not, because it's just such an emotional time. So yeah, unfortunately, there's oftentimes not a beautiful healing experience for family members. It could be, but people need to be able to face some big emotions. And that's why having support is so important. I mean, that's what death doulas and hospice workers and like, you know, even just normal, regular therapists, you know, if you're really dealing with somebody that's, you know, dying, and the family members are all coming up and all this stuff's coming up, get a therapist. I mean, there's really no shame in it, because it'll really help you work through all of these things so that at least maybe, you know, your brother or your sister aren't able to feel forgiveness. But if you can, then that's the important part. It's really all about us. We can't control the people around us. We can only control ourselves and how we react to the situations. And thank you for for clarifying that forgiveness is not for the other person. It is really for ourselves and being able to um, move forward. Yeah. Yeah, it really, that's, that's a big thing is like, we have to, we have to do it for ourselves. And I know it's hard and I know it's scary. I'm not saying that it's easy, um, but it is possible. I know that it's possible. You know, I, I've talked about this before on the podcast, but I had a mentor who used to talk about, you know, our emotions are like beach balls and we're trying to hold them under the water But, you know, you can't hold a beach ball under the water. At some point, it's going to come up Mm -hmm. and it's just going to hit you right in the face. And at the end of life is when all those big, as you said, are all those big emotions are coming up. And if we had done the work, done our own work earlier, yes, it would be helpful for everybody. Yeah. And, you know, so often... I see at the end of life, you know, there's usually the one person that's like the main caregiver for mom, you know, or dad or whatever it is. And then all the like anger and the resentment from like childhood of like, well, my brother has never done anything and my sister never does this. And like, it all just comes out when really 
if you could be more focused on that time that you're having with mom, those last couple of days or weeks or months, um, connecting on a different level and really being there and not in your head angry that like your sister shows up only once a week and isn't helping at all. And your brother, Oh, he doesn't do it. Like if you can get all of that out of your mind, you can really have, I think probably the most intimate experience that we could ever have with a loved one is at the end of their life. And so it could really be a beautiful time if we can like work through some of that other stuff and just kind of like let it go. But you're right. It's like that beach ball that so many of us for our entire lives, we've spent so much energy holding that ball underneath the water that eventually you just, you don't have the energy anymore when you're caring for somebody at the end of life to hold it all down and it's gonna all come up. And that's, I think what makes people so afraid of death and dying. It's not that it's even the death and the dying part. It's all the emotions that come up while we're going through that experience. And it's something that we could heal now so that we can be more present when we need to be. What's the one big key takeaway that you want our listeners to get from this episode? You have covered so much valuable information, but if you kind kind of distill it down to one or two thoughts. What is that? I think probably the biggest takeaway is that we don't have to be afraid of death and dying. That the more that we can face our fears about death and dying now the better we can live out the rest of our lives and the time that we have with our loved ones. And that there is people that can help you have that experience. There are people out there that can support you through facing your fears around death and dying, because we're all going to have to face it at some point in our lives. So we might as well do it now. Jill, seriously, I could just, talk for hours with you, but I I want to be respectful of your time. So let me just, let me close this off before I have you tell us about your website and your social media. What would you thank your 18 year old self for? I love that question. I had to really think about it when I read that, um, when you sent the question to me ahead of time. I mean, I think honestly, The biggest thing is I would thank her for not giving up because I was in a rough spot when I was a teenager. And there was times when honestly, for me, um, the thought of dying was better than continuing to live life. But I just knew that there was more out there and I just started searching for it. And I'm so glad that I didn't give up, even though there was times when it was scary and it was hard. And I'm so grateful that that 18 year old me was wise enough to know that I didn't have to feel like that, that there was a way out. I just had to find that way. And so that was really the beginning of my journey. It was about 17, 18 when I started down what I would consider my spiritual path. 
And I'm glad that I did. I want to go back and like give her a big hug and be like, don't worry, it's going to be fine. <laughs> You'll get there, I promise. So, yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. So how can our listeners work with you, your social media, your website? Yeah, so the name of my business is End of Life Clarity. Uh, that's my website. That's what I am on um, Instagram, where I do post a lot of, you know, thought provoking things about death and dying and grief. Um, I use TikTok a little bit, not a whole lot, because there's just too much to keep up on anymore. But I am on TikTok. Um, on Facebook, same thing, um, end of life clarity, but also my profile, I um like to just connect with people personally, even. So if anybody wants to friend request me on Facebook, it's just my first and last name, Jill McLennan. But again, it's also end of life clarity. And I can always um, connect people into my Facebook group, which honestly, it it's such that Facebook group is such a joy for me. I love it. I am always in there, you know, having conversations with people. Um, and there's a link to that on all of my social media as well. Well, I have loved every minute, and I'm going to have to have you back on because I had so many other things that I wanted to talk to you about. So we'll have a part two, part yeah. two of this. I would love that. This was a beautiful conversation. I really appreciate you having me on and, you know, being open to have this conversation because I know it can be a little much for people, you know, it brings up a lot of emotions, but I think that's a great thing. I don't think we should be afraid of our emotions. No, I don't either. Thank you again. You're so welcome. Thank you. All right, friends. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. I truly appreciate it. I have partnered with doTERRA Essential Oils. And just one of the many reasons I'm so excited is because it's in total alignment with the podcast and the topics that I am passionate about. Topics that encompass the human experience, self-care, stress management, resiliency, grief, and our emotional health. And I love, love their uncompromising commitment to purity and being a company with a conscience. I truly feel this is a beautiful fit with my mission to serve and support women in every season of their life, beginnings, endings, and the messy bits in between. I'm also doing this for my overall well-being and want to share my journey with you as I rediscover the benefits of essential oils. Contact me to get started on your journey. My email is cindy at cynthiamacmillan.com. Thank you.